captivating landscapes, flawless tobaccos, elegant presentation. Introducing Pure Origin. At JR Cigar, our innovative team is on a journey for unrivaled flavors and enriching experiences. Along that path, we discovered new, distinctive, and groundbreaking tobaccos from the furthest reaches of the earth and are bringing them right to your home. The intentions are pure, the process is pure, the origin is pure. JR Pure Origin. Boom, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. It's Friday night, Friday night, Herf. We're hanging out in Dojo Studios, having a good time. Sitting here next to Scotty Brayband, Trinity Cigar Lounge, my favorite mobile lounge in the entire universe. Darn right. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. It's Friday night. I'm smoking cigars. I'm having a little bourbon. What better way to spend a Friday evening? And we have uh, producer kid Jordan over there. How you doing, Jordan? Excellent. And that's all you got to say, excellent? That's it, huh? Doing excellent. Wow, you were very short on words tonight. Hey, um, so here's the deal. Normally, normally we would talk a little bit before we bring the guests on. But tonight, I just want to bring the guests right on, Jordan, because we've got to talk about these woolly mammoths. Because, all right, so uh, we've got got Abe DeBabna from Smokin'. Abe, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. <laughs> there we are. There we are. Abe's sort of a little bit of a woolly mammoth. Just, you know, just the size, the sheer size and <laughs> wooliness of him. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yeah, absolutely. Take Go that with as it. A I have to. Yeah. I mean, you should hear what they say about me. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, and we've it. got uh, Nick Labretti from JR Cigars. Nick, welcome back to Smoke Night Live, my friends. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? We're doing good. So, so guys, before the show, first of all, if you're joining us from uh, Facebook or YouTube, please like and share the show. Subscribe. If you're, if you're listening uh, later on podcasts, Apple or Spotify or, I don't know, iHeartRadio, whatever those, all those things. Just all the thingies. Do, do all those things for us because it really does help a lot. But before the show, uh, Nick, Scott was saying... That they're, they've cloned the woolly mammoth. Well, it's not born yet. From what I've heard from the podcast I was listening to, they have used CRISPR and they have taken CRISPR? DNA. Yes. I hardly knew it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not funny. <laughs> Borderline bad dad joke right there. But No, they took it and they took uh, DNA that they found from a frozen woolly mammoth somewhere in like Siberia. And they basically cleared the genetic material out of an Indian elephant's embryo and they inserted this genetic, you know, code and DNA or whatever it is into that embryo and they implanted it into a female Indian elephant and the gestation is roughly 22 months and right now they say they're like four months in. Hmm. So, and it's still a viable pregnancy. So they're saying in like a year and a half, we could have the first woolly mammoth true woolly mammoth not a hybrid because they removed all of the indian elephant dna out of the embryo so it is truly would be a pure woolly mammoth so we could see the first one in like the last twelve thousand years now nick boom is this a good idea nick (laughs) i mean 
dating back to 1993, a certain a movie came out that, that <laughs> yep. accurately yep. showcased the problems with doing this. And that what movie was, was Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, right. The statement was, it's, what wasn't it? Is, you, you tried so hard to see if you could. You never thought to see if you should. You never stopped to see if you should. Right. Yeah. Na- uh. Nature finds a way. <laughs> We're totally doing this. We're doing this, I'm, Abe. I don't Jurassic know. Jurassic Park. I don't know. Jurassic man. Park. I want to see dinosaurs, man. Oh, wow. That's I'm what I'm down my, for. I want to see dinosaurs. I'm checking my calendar right now. and Yeah, I'm on the right show. All right. I just had to double check check real quick. I I had Dojo Friday night. Yeah, I'm on the right show. Okay. Now, now, Abe, uh, tell me what you think of this. How do you now? I mean, I have my own theories on on how April would do, but how would Brandy do if her the gestation period was 22 months? (laughs) Dude, Brandy was pregnant for six years straight. I mean, she pretty much feels like she had, you know, uh, you know. Never got a break. 50, it just loops. Yeah, yeah. She had like a fifty-four month gestation, as far as she's concerned. So, I mean, at a certain point, it's Groundhog Day. That's what it my wife. Yeah, my wife may not be a good example for that analogy. Oh my yeah, gosh. no, I'm fairly certain my wife. I wouldn't have made it to the show tonight if my wife would have had to have carried our children for twenty-two months. I I sort of feel like guys, they 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 should be really prepared. For, that that could literally alter. Nick, this this could alter the the history of of Earth. Like, who knows what uh, what this woolly mammoth could bring to well, the table? Well, what the potential consequences to it, both positive and negative. I mean, they talked about it like on the the podcast I was listening to that it's something they want to look at for in terms of like releasing them into the north and the tundra. No, don't do and, it. You know, and somehow that'll help with you know carbon and you know global warming and something like oh, that geez. you know goodness <laughs> so knows. so the past two years we've had a pandemic we've had a europe war we've had food crisis inflation now they want to bring dinosaurs into this mix <laughs> yes. like it's gonna help the situation oh I'm if we got dinosaurs aliens. i'm waiting for aliens yeah. at this point i'm just saying bring it's a it circus on. out I mean, there seriously who had who Dude. had woolly mammoths for you know <laughs> Next year. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm playing bingo. Who had it? Somebody had that square. Don't don't let Pfizer get a hold of this uh, technology because yeah. they're going to for sure screw things up. All right, boys. Uh, this is episode 365 of Smoke Night Live. Uh, we're going to be talking tonight about the state of the union for cigar retailing. And that's why we have picked this uh, especially expert panel of guests We've got Scott, who represents the Mobile Lounge, and you have a... It's a small operation. I very am small. the little guy. You're the little guy. You represent the little guy. And then, of course, we've got Abe DeBabna from Smoke Inn, who has uh, some of the greatest lounges in South Florida, plus a fantastic uh, online experience for buying cigars. And then Nick, who represents JR Cigars, over 50 years of excellence. So, boys, we're going to be talking about topics that relate to cigar retailing and where we are headed in uh, where we are now and where we are headed how things could change in the future so let's kick the show off um with a question that i think everybody's sort of curious to know uh i'll start with you abe on this particular one uh all the cigar of the year lists just recently uh hit and um how how do these lists? I mean, obviously, uh, the cigar aficionado list is the big one, um, but there are other there are other big ones now. Half wheel ha- gets a lot of attention. Obviously, the dojo gets 
some attention and Coop gets some attention. Abe, do these how do these lists move the needle for you? Do they move the needle for you? Um, how does that affect your uh, either in lounge retailing or online? Uh, no, it does move the needle. I mean, does it move the legal for, to any significant depth or long-term depth? Most of these lists, no. And, and I'll even venture to say even a cigar aficionado, number, the, number one, doesn't move the needle long-term or as deep as it used to in years past. And I think that's most of the reason is, you know, they used to be the only voice. And now there are many people. And, and you know, look, I don't know why people get upset about it. All it is is what people do every day. It's sharing their opinions. Right. You know, I mean, people do it every day. So either you 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 appreciate the opinion of someone who's sharing it with you or you don't agree with it and you move on. I mean, I, I've seen people get upset at people's top list. You know, it's like, why are you getting upset? I mean, I, I, I disagree with who thinks this has the best pizza in town and where the best hamburger is in town. We, we, we talk about that kind of stuff all day. It's the same thing in cigars. So um, I think I think it does move the needle. It does pique some interest, especially if people are reading lists and it's a cigar they haven't tried and all of a sudden it's on their radar. Look, as a brand or a brand owner, anytime you can get on the radar anywhere, an opportunity to be on the radar where you may have not have been is always a fruitful and positive thing. So... Um, it does move the needle. <clears throat> is it is it going to make an, a brand that that, that wasn't? Um, I mean, not like maybe it could have in the past. I'd say. Yeah, well, I mean, Abe, uh, you know, I think this one's pretty well known. When um, Alec Bradley's uh, Pensado hit, hit number one, it it definitely caused them an issue because they. They ended up selling so many, and then they produced a bunch that they weren't happy with. And uh, mm-hmm. Alan came out and did a public apology, even mm-hmm. to that extent. It, 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 has that sort of stuff waned? Do you think is is that kind of what you're hinting at? Is is that sort of rush so, to get the number one waned a bit? So going back twenty years, fifteen, twenty years, fifteen years. Um, how long ago was that Alec Bradley number one? Let's see. Ten years? I think it was twenty eleven. Ten ten eleven years. Two thousand ten eleven, yeah. So give you an example, because I think that was one of them, right? So when that when we first heard that hit number one, I was in our old West Palm Beach location and I called up right away and I can't remember what it was, but basically we said, Hey, you know, we'd like to place an order of fifty boxes. All right, do you have them in stock? Yeah, I said we'll be there in about thirty five minutes to pick them up. And we actually would drive down there. I think we picked up that order because I knew Mm -hmm. if I didn't get the boxes they just said they would give to me, like within the next 45 minutes, that I would have gotten five boxes out of that 50 I may have ordered or whatever it was. So you you wanted to Um, jump right on it. You had to. Otherwise, you weren't getting any. Mm -hmm. You weren't getting any. You know, I didn't even find out who was number one this year, I think, till you know, five in the evening or six in the evening that day, you know, came you know came across my attention. So, um, no, I mean it doesn't, you know, you know, for us as a company, it may create an email or a marketing thing or a promotion or just a awareness of it, but um, no reaction like ten, fifteen years ago at all. Why? Why do you? Why, what's? What would you propose or you uh, would guess? Uh, venture to guess as to why. Uh, it's uh, waned a bit uh, as far as that goes. I think the process of consumer education. Mm. You know, I mean, let's face it, back when this culture was really taking off and beginning, 
kind of everybody was learning the culture from one source. And that was it. So if you wanted to learn anything about cigars, you were learning it from one source. And let's face it now, 20-some-odd years later, I mean, there's literally thousands of places you could learn about cigars, tobacco, the culture. And even now, forget that, the manufacturers can directly communicate to the masses of consumers directly, which we they didn't, that wasn't around when I got in this business. Right. So, so I, I think that the efficacy of something doesn't, the deep, the deep impact of that release or that naming of number one or this isn't as deep as it used to be. Does it have an effect? Yeah, I think it's more of a, a little ripple effect than it is like a major, a major crater in what's going on in, in the trends in marketing. Because let's face it, you, you've created a community, Coop's created a community, this guy's created a community, and, you know, your voices are being heard. So back where maybe 80% of the populace was listening to what Cigar Aficionado was saying, you know, maybe now they got 25, 30%. Of, of who are really looking for that number one while all these other communities that have arisen are, are looking for where, where they're getting their information from, what their lists are. So it's, I, I think the, the power of being selected Cigar of the Year has just been dissipated right. over many different outlets of, of information and, and, and who, where that information is coming from. What do you what do you think, Nick? Uh, how has it affected uh, at, at JR Cigars? Is it sort of similar to what uh, Abe's uh, explaining, or is it a little different for you guys? Or uh, yeah, I mean, it, it also it it really depends on the brand that gets that kind of top spot. You know, when you have something like um, two years ago, uh, the Monte Cristo nineteen thirty five got number two. So, did it affect overall Monte Cristo sales? No. Did it really affect? Any of the other sizes in the 1935 line? No. But that one size that was ranked, we couldn't keep in stock for weeks and weeks and weeks. Same thing when Aging Room got it a couple of years ago. That one particular size, several months back order before we were able to get it. So it, it, it whereas 10 years ago, the whole line, the whole brand would have been back ordered. So yeah, I think that the effect of the aficionado list is waning. Um, I will say, and this is a, mat- a maturity thing, I am one of those people who voice my displeasure at certain lists. Um, not because uh, I think the cigars they chose were bad, or I, just because I disagree with their choices. Everyone has their own palate. But because I think that it's important to represent the industry a little bit better than I think some of the bigger lists have been representing it. Dojo, you guys do an amazing job. Halffield does an amazing job. It's such a different industry now than it was 10 years ago. It's much larger. Like Abe was saying, we're engaging with brands and consumers on whole different levels. And it's just important that all the brands, especially the ones, you know, like Dunbarton Foundation, Crown Heads, the ones that the people are really talking about and that really, you know, really get the high ratings, Ferry Otego uh, also, it's important that these be represented on that largest platform as well. Now, um, this sort of leads into my second question, and I'll start with you, Scotty, because you're yeah. a, a smaller operation, obviously, uh, being a mobile lounge and, and whatnot. But um, it, I'm, re- I'm really interested to see how you guys answer this question differently between the, um, the, the three of you. What, Scotty, do you use to determine to bring in a new brand? Like, obviously, your menu is 
pretty small. Yeah, very uh, small. I mean, very small. you're 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 obviously you're in a mobile lounge. You don't have this huge walk-in humidor or anything like that. So you have to have I don't know twenty or thirty or whatever it is. Yeah, right now I'm running right at fifty. Okay, so right at fifty brands and. So how do you determine when you want to bring in a, a new brand? Does it have to do with like the buzz of the consumer or do you want to bring that brand in and then, and then sort of sell it to the consumer to get them excited about it? What are the, sort of the criteria that you use to bring in a brand? So primarily for me, it is the buzz from the consumer. It's what I hear people talking about. It's what I hear, you know, see people when they come into the lounge that they're asking for or they're looking for or they're smoking and they enjoyed and they're like, oh, I had this. Do you, you know, just things like that where they're talking amongst themselves or when I'm at leather lounges or other places and what people are talking. That's probably 80 percent of it for what, you know, decides what's in my humidor. Then the other 20 percent is primarily like cigars that I've searched out that I think are very good, that are very excellent. A perfect example was the Feriotego, both the Generoso and uh, the... Elegancia. Yeah, yeah, I blanked on that one. Elegancia, bro. Yep, yep. (laughs) But those were two cigars that I really liked and I really thought highly of and I really thought the people would like. And it's also a brand, being it was a new name, it was no longer under the Nat Sherman. It was Ferio Tego. That's pretty People. probably a pretty high end cigar for for your lounge. A lot yes, of your yes. customers are uh, new cigar smokers. Yeah, rednecks. Yeah. Oh, they're not rednecks. <laughs> oh, that's, I thought that's what you were gonna say. I'm a redneck. My my customers are not. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was one that I wanted to bring in and help educate people and turn people on to that brand, just because of how good those cigars were that I thought they were. So that's probably mm. about twenty percent of it there. Now, Nick, you guys at Jr. You guys have this massive in- inventory. You can bring in literally almost everything, right? I mean, um. But are, are, is there some criteria where you're, you know, uh, just like Scott, is it is it because customers are requesting, hey, you know, we, we really want you to carry this small brand that's just new out of wherever, and do you take that into consideration, or are you guys just sort of bringing in like, almost everything? So it really depends. So our, our product merchant team does a really good job uh, sourcing, you know, when it comes to looking at new brands, the impact that they're having. Um, really what I will focus on if we're doing any kind of collaboration is a little bit of a mix of both. What is hot right now? What brands are people talking about? But also, what's a brand that I know is really good and I, but maybe doesn't get the, the hype that it should? So one about a year, a year and a half ago that I really started trying to hype up was HVC. Obviously, guys like you knew who HVC was um, and all the great stuff they were doing, but I felt like at least the JR audience wasn't familiar. So we did a diligent job in really pushing that brand out a little bit more until we sold out of most of our stock on it. And now we actually, we push it very heavily in the, uh, in the retail locations in the Casa locations. But it, sometimes, you know, a company our size, things fly under our radar and it's hard to keep track of them. But yeah, it's definitely a mixture of listening to what the people want. But also when you find the hidden gem and you believe in it, like you were talking about with, uh, with Ferio, educate them and bring them into your world a little bit. What about you, Abe? I know, I know there's probably a ton of, uh, a ton of brand reps that are, uh, you know, coming in, trying to get you to carry their line. What are, what, what's your criteria to determine if you're going to, you know, uh, carry the line or not? You know, our really number one criteria and we have the benefit, unlike, you know, Nick, where he's at is we really can listen to the majority of our consumer base. Our consumer base isn't, near 
we're extremely fractional compared to the size of, you know, JR or some of these guys. And, and that kind of really is our, our number one thing. I've always said I don't run museums, I run retail stores. Um, I want to bring in what I feel our consumers want to buy. If we have a market for it, we bring it in. And, and that's the biggest factor. And then there's other factors that as a, as a guy, as a company our size, that you make decisions on sometimes. It could be your long-term relationships, old friends getting into a new brand. You give them a crack, you give them a try. Sometimes you just like somebody, you smoke their product, you like your product. I could tell you right now, as somebody who's been doing this 26 years sometimes, I can't fathom rhyme or reason sometimes why something will sell and why something will don't. I know a lot of great cigars that I think are really good, that I enjoy, that don't fare well on the shelves. And there are things that sell and I don't understand why. And, you know, I don't try to get caught up in that mess because I see myself as a real just retailer. I'm trying to answer and feel the pulse of those who come in and, and, and patronize our establishments or, or shop with us online. Um, every now and then I'll hit something or I'll see something. And, it, you know, it happens in everybody's career where you'll see something at a trade show and you'll just feel it. Sight unseen sometimes as a retailer. And, I, and I'll, I'll look at it buy that put it by the register those are going to sell all day long and and that's like a gut feel sort of thing yeah i just did it i just did it at the trade show we bought in um we bought in the tight mod from grand habano i saw it at the trade show for the first time and you know george rico is an example i have a very good relationship with george rico his brands over the years haven't been successful we haven't been able to find a market for him here um but he's kind of revamped the company got now a lot of new lines so having a relationship with the guy and I've smoked his cigars. George makes good product. I mean, nothing really bad you could say about his product. So we bought some in, but I saw this tight mod and I don't know if you've seen it, but it looks like a, you know, artillery shell. You know, it's kind of curved on one end, pointed on the other. It's like a torpedo with a curved foot closed on both ends. And it comes in these 50 count boxes. And I, and I told my operations guy, buy this, put it at the register. People will buy this up. And he looked at me like, with eight eyes and we were just talking about the other day we can't keep them in stock now so every now and then as a retailer you'll see something that you'll just say yeah consumers are gonna want this you know because you can't tell as long as the cigar isn't absolutely awful like construction wise or if it's a decent product somebody once told me i think maybe even it was lou rothman um there's an ass for every seat that might have been South Fontana. That sounds more like one of his. Uh, <laughs> that really does sound more like one of his. But yeah, I mean, there's an ask for every seed, and I can't be the guy to judge or decide what's the seat you like. But sometimes you just see it as a consumer. They're like, oh man, that's just going to cause a buzz. They're going to see that. They're going to talk about. It, they're going to buy it, and it's a quality cigar. So there's going to be a percentage of the people that will like this, and you hit, you hit, you hit, you hit one right every now and then like that. Yeah, that's interesting uh, that you bring that up, Abe, because I remember talking to um, uh, Sean from Smoking Cave, yep. and um, he was like, I just cannot sell Romacraft. Like, I can't. But then, you know, maybe like three, you know, neighborhoods down or a few miles down, 30 miles down the road to the, the next shop, they can. It's, it's very localized uh, sometimes. A certain brand sells in one place amazingly well and then not in an, in another place. Well, and some of it I think has to do with it's, you know, at least on my end, it's what I'm talking about. It's what I'm saying. I can take a cigar that may not on its own be moving very well. It may just kind of be just there in the mix. You know, I sell a few here or there, 
But if I really take the time and focus on that brand and just bring it up and talk about it, that can change the entire evening or the entire day's sales for that event that I'm doing with my mobile lounge just because of how I'm approaching it. And I think that's some of it with like the smaller brick and mortar lounges. It's what you're talking about. It's what you're, it's what the buzz is that you're bringing up. If your staff is bringing up, you know, Romacraft left and right or talking about it, then Romacraft will move. If you're not bringing up Perdomo, Perdomo's sitting over in the corner, even though it's a great cigar and a great product line, it's something that's not moving as much. And it, that can have an influence on the smaller end. I can't speak for, of course, the large size, but just the small brick and mortar stores, mobile lounges like myself, it's, it's what you're creating buzz about as well. Right. Uh, now, Nick, once you, once you do bring in a brand um, into the brick and mortar uh, facility, the Casa de Monte Cristos and so forth, what, what is the process of determining, you know, where they uh, sit on the shelf? Obviously, there's better spots on the, the shelves in humidors than others. Um, uh, how do you determine that? What's the, f what's the factoring as to who gets best placement? Is it just strictly based on sales? Is it, is it hey, we want to, you know, we're really getting a good deal on these particular cigars, so they need to be in a good spot? Like, what is the thought process going into uh, how things are laid out within in the humidor itself? So uh, Brad Winstead, who is the CEO of the of, uh, of our Casa stores, the Casa de Monte Cristo retail stores, is uh, is a genius um, when it comes to um, layout. When it comes to each individual store, kind of having a separate floor plan in regards to the humidor. Um, going on to what Scott was saying, I mean, like our two stores in New Jersey, Whippany and Paramus, Whippany boxes of Perdomo, Fuente, Monte Cristo, every day boxes and boxes and boxes. 15 miles away in Paramus, Tatuaje, Warped, mm. I mean, Southern Draw, boxes and boxes of those. And those are, you know, the same size store owned by the same company. They have a lot of the same stuff in stock, the same managed C CEOs and, and vice presidents and marketing managers. But it depends on the staff and it depends on the location um, and how they vibe with the staff. So uh, Brad really taylor makes each store's location to the store's location um tons of crown heads in, a, in the nashville location and they they are out that they they sell incredibly we launched our uh the relaunch of mother church in the nashville store uh and i think we went through 60 70 boxes in one night you put that in a store in north carolina it maybe it sits there for mm. months on end so it it really is store dependent but brad has great ideas and great relationships and is really able to tailor each store to the demographic uh, of that area. What about you, Abe? How do, how do you guys determine uh, who gets the prime shelf space in the uh, smoke-in lounges? You know, I don't know how that's really determined these days. I mean, unfortunately, when you scale, um, other people do that work. But the way it's always been set up since I was doing it back in the day, and I'm pretty sure it's kind of it is now, is we kind of set it up in sections by company, you know? So one company will have a linear section top to bottom. Another company will have a linear section top to bottom. I mean, where you could fill it in. And that's mostly just for ease of ordering because back in the day, didn't have POS systems. You, you went in with a pad and a thing and you had to do your ordering like this. So, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, we may not be as scientific as, as some of our... Uh, better versus competitors, but um, I'm 
pretty much think that's how it's laid out. Now, Abe, um, I'll, I'll, everybody pretty much probably watching the show is super in tune to like the high end premium, ultra premium. If you want, I hate it when we start adding superlatives. You yeah, know? just you know, add another thing. <laughs> just super add another ultra premium. <laughs> yeah, but the truth is, um, you know, most folks that are into the dojo and and probably uh, the smoking socialites and probably the folks that watch Nick's videos on on YouTube, they're they're really in tune to the premium cigar market. But what would you? How does the like the the cheaper bundled and and seconds and that sort of what sort of percentage of that Abe do you guys sell through? Is that is that like does that represent a a, a really large percentage of your like online sales or how does like the the, the the sort of like the less premium stuff uh, well, move well, with with your your guys def- with your defi- define where you're calling less premium? I'm talking you know the bundled stuff specifically bundled cigars cheaper uh, three dollars um, a stick kind of stuff. You, you know I don't think there's a successful retailer out there who doesn't sell a whole lot of bundles. Yeah. Um, because that, look, that's still the, j- just like discretionary income in society. The majority of the people don't fall in that upper echelon of of income. So I come from the grocery business, right? My family and how I grew up. So. You know, we, we always bought things and catered to, you know, everybody. You, you had your value buy brands and you had your premium brands and both sold. So um, we've always sold a lot of bundles since I've gotten the business. I've always sold bundles. I have gone into cigar lounges who won't sell bundles or don't want to dedicate the space to bundles. And um, it's just something we've always had incorporated as part of our businesses that we had. We sell bundles because, I mean, there is... The guys who, especially here in South Florida, the guys who golf every morning, they, they buy bundles every other day. Um, so I, I think as a retailer... Is that a different really, consumer, Abe? Is it a, is it a different guy altogether? No. No, sometimes no. it's the same guy. It's a guy who will smoke. I mean, I, once again, I don't know where your parameters are, but he'll smoke a $10, $12, $14 cigar during the day, but will buy himself a $3 stick on the golf course um, for everyday golfing, you know? Um I, I mean, look, it's just like us. We go out to fine dining, and sometimes you just want, you know, that White Castle slider. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, you know, I mean, every situation has a need. So uh, I think we've done a good job over the years of trying to be well-rounded retailers and, and to cater to the needs of, to, of, of whatever it is our consumer wants. You know, um, we do our best job at that. I mean, we don't have the capacity in the space. I mean, Nick's selection obviously is far deeper and greater than, than anything we carry. But um, the ability that we can communicate with really a large percentage or we interact with a large percentage of our base um, gives us that ability to really kind of be more on target of kind of just really caring what our base is. And then every now and then you bring in a new brand and you see how the base reacts, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. and a lot of times with the smaller boutique brands, what I kind of tend to find with us is, um, you can't bring in a boutique brand to try to say, oh, those customers will find us. Because especially if you're coming in late in the game, like I was the first retailer in Florida to have Tetuahi cigars. I mean, we were the first one to bring it in. I, I, I was actually out in California um, having a meeting in um, what were those exclusive clubs called back then? Like a, uh, a tweet up? The, no, 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 no. There oh. was a, there was one in New York. I, the one in New York might still be there, but and there was one in L.A. It was a very elite cigar bar oh, club okay. lounge. And Pete the Grand Havana Room. Grand Havana Room. Thank you, Nick. 
And yeah. um, Nick used to manage, uh, Nick, Pete used to manage right, from the shop right, right below it. Yep. So I had a meeting and I just said, oh, a cigar shop, let me go in there. And I, I didn't even realize that's where Pete worked, right? I'd seen Pete at trade shows and he was telling me about the cigar. You know, it really was barely just selling it at the time. So once again, a situation where, hey, I smoked a cigar. This is a great cigar. I like this guy. We've known this guy for a while. We're going to bring it in and we're going to try it. Um, but when you come on board late in the game, especially with some of these smaller companies like Romacraft or whatever, their followers, and because, you know, like, especially a guy like Skip, he makes a limited number of product. This stuff is sold before he makes it. So the people who are following that brand kind of are buying it where they're going to buy it. And you have to, if you're going to bring stuff like that in, you have to really see how your patron base is and whether it's going to be something that they're going to be attracted to. Because otherwise, those new brands don't usually work out well because um, there's not that as many consumers out there that will find you for it because they have such a smaller base. So right. it's, it, we're in that middle ground now, right? You know, you know, um, of, you know, that uncomfortableness sometimes of, of um, when you're not, maybe, you know, when you're small as Scott and everything is controllable and it's all right there in front of you and, you, you know, you, have, you, you, you work with a few number of employees and you control it and then we're not as massive or have the resources we, where Nick is at, but we're in that uncomfortable middle ground sometimes where, you know, it's, it's, we're big and some things are hard and we're still trying to run things in a more precise and precision manner so but as a company we just you just kind of keep evolving right you just keep saying okay well how does it become better what do we need to do and and that's what we've been doing for the last 26 years nick what would you say if you if you had to venture to guess nick uh what percentage uh of of sort of you know the, the stuff that drives jr cigars is you know the ultra premium the stuff that's hot that we all talk about online and so forth uh, compared to you know like the the cheaper bundled sort of cat I, some people might call them catalog cigars uh any any idea that how that moves for you guys uh it's definitely above 50 percent i mean really? listen, oh, wow. bundles bundle yeah bundles pay the bills that's at, at least for us that's that's how it goes now it's how you know go to a liquor store and coors light and budweiser is keeping out the lights on and then the ipas are a great addition now we're morphing and transforming and evolving as is the industry to bring in more of the smaller brands more of the boutique brands as people get more informed as people get more educated those are the brands that they look for they like having the story they like having unique experiences and so yeah that's trending definitely more towards that now but there's always going to be a need for a cheaper option, a more affordable option. Not saying it has to be garbage. There's a ton. Most of the bundles I actually smoke regularly, on, like Abe said, on the golf course or whatever. So you could still do a quality, inexpensive bundled cigar. But yeah, I would definitely say those are those are our bread and butter. That has shrunk a little bit past five, ten years, but still a majority of our major sales are coming from those kind of more inexpensive products. Now, Nick, I want to I want to start uh, with you on this one, um, and then I'll I'll go to Abe and then to Scott to finish. All of you guys happen to be really good at, at social media, um, but Nick, what what would you say is is sort of the driving factor in? Now, we're talking now about reaching the consumer. Um, so you know, obviously in the past, um, a, a big portion of that was uh, the actual physical catalog that you would get in the mail, and you guys do a, a really nice physical catalog still to this day. 
Um, but now you do such, such a great job on social media, especially on YouTube with your videos. Do you, do you see that e evolving or is, is the, ca is the catalog still the main thing or is it email marketing? Like, like is, is reaching the consumer, um, evolving the way it seems like it is to me or, or is it still just the main thing is that, uh, paper catalog? Uh, no, it's definitely evolving. Um, social media has become a huge part of our uh, business plan. Um, the podcast has gotten really big. It's the best way to connect directly to your consumer and hear their feedback. Like I'm following your guys on Facebook, and apparently I'm, my echo is, uh, is killing everyone out there. I'll try to fix it <laughs> during, a, during the break. But, um, but that's important. That's how, you know, sending out the catalog is great. We still do a good amount of catalog business, but... Social media, um, interviews, getting the perspective of the manufacturer, and really getting that connection between the consumer, the retailer, and the manufacturer is so important, and it's going to continue to evolve this business in years to come. What do you think, Abe? Uh, what's, I mean, obviously, you guys don't do the, the paper catalog, uh, right? It's, for you, it's, it's, it's mainly the email marketing and, the, and your, your social media. You have a great, you have a fantastic Facebook group with the socialites. It's, I'm sure you've seen that evolve over the last 10 years, uh, doing what you do with Smoke In. I mean, absolutely. I wasn't even really that involved in social media until probably a year or two before the pandemic. Um, you know, it, it, there's a different universe for everything. I mean, our our we started as a company, all our interaction was basically face-to-face, -face, live, you know, dealing with the consumers the people who walked through our door, people we shook hands, we knew their name, we knew what they wanted, but when we saw their car pull up in the, in, in, in the parking lot. And over, you know, over the years, you know, Facebook kind of became something while I was in this business. I remember coming home and seeing my wife on, I'm like, what is that? And, you know, I, I think that was even when Facebook was maybe still at the university phases, because I think she was going to University of Phoenix at the time. Um, and then you just saw it become more and more part of the culture. Now, for, for me personally, what it's done is, look, Obviously, my workload has changed over the years. You know, I, I'm not out on the floor as much as I'd like to be or used to be. So our local people don't, I don't get the pleasure of interacting with them as much because they come visit us during working hours and as I'm hanging out after hours, I'm usually churning away here in the office. So for me personally, on a personal level, social media has been great because, and it really started during the pandemic. I was able to connect to people once again. It just wasn't about churning the work anymore. Um, and for me, that's been uh, kind of like a renaissance for me in my career. I feel like it's kind of started over again uh, after the pandemic um, when we started our socialite group and really connecting with people all over the world on a day-to-day -day basis. And what's nice is our local people have now transitioned into that medium too. I I'm interacting with our local patrons more on social media than I am seeing them <laughs> in my own shop. So uh, the ability to be able to communicate, interact, touch people, especially for a guy like me, I sleep five hours a day. So I'm posting or doing stuff at two, three in the morning. Um, it's a wonderful tool. Um, the reality of it is, is that, you know, out of the whole cigar, cigar verse, to steal a coin, um, it's a very small percentage of people in the Scarverse who are interactive on social media. There's still a large group of people who don't get into the culture on Facebook, don't get in social media, don't get in whereby rooms or lives or any of that kind of stuff. 
And that's where companies like Nix with catalogs, I mean, listen, we, we keep forgetting as consumers, there's only a couple thousand really quality cigar lounge retail places in this whole country. 3,000, you know, whatever the number is, 3,500 across this whole country. But there are people smoking cigars, you know, who don't experience this culture or community that's kind of exists. They're kind of doing it strictly as a product that they enjoy without the extraneous benefits of what that product brings as a, as a community or culture. So um, the need for that will always exist. And that's an area we aren't or equipped or haven't or I don't see in your future plan on trying to deal with because um, that requires a lot of resources to reach people like that. So you need those Calic people because like when you talk about the bundle numbers, like I knew it was a big number for, for JR, but for us, it's probably, you know, I say it's a big part of our business. It's probably like 20%, you know, of our business, which still it's you know, one fifth your business or 15 to 20%. It's a lot, but um, it's not as high as that because their reach, their reach is far, far greater. Now, for you, Scotty, uh, it's 100% social media. Oh, yeah. Social media is everything for me. It is the life and death of my business. It really is. You have to stay in front of people. You have to be connected with what, you know, is going on online. For me, it, it moves you into a smaller sec of, like, being involved in the cigar groups, the small community groups that are out here involved in our state specifically that lets me know, you know, kind of what people are smoking, what they're talking about, where the hype is and that I can relate to them and I can stay, you know, connected with them as, you know, as a business, not just as a person and as, as a cigar smoker. It is everything. Now, saying that, also, you know, catalogs like JR's catalog and the other ones that are out there, that plays a role even in my business because those, those people see that. Yeah, those people see that and I'm doing events with the mobile lounge where maybe it's more of a private event and people are coming in, friends that smoke cigars. Maybe they live, you know, nowhere near an actual brick and mortar cigar lounge. So they're doing primarily what they're doing is either catalog, you know, browsing or just cigar groups or online what they're seeing. So that helps drive what they're doing. So if I know more what's going on social media and I'm staying in front of them with my own business and, you know, kind of what we're providing and what we have, then that just that completely 100 percent drives my business. All right, folks, uh, when we come back, I have the $64,000 question. We're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be asking our guests about balancing. Uh, we, we talk so much about, uh, you know, the, that brick and mortar stores are the sort of the spine, the lifeblood of our industry. But then uh, we don't want to cannibalize that with online sales. So how do uh, especially JR and, and Smoke In balance that? Because they have both of, of these uh, segments of their business. So how do they balance that to make sure that one isn't hurting the other. So we will ask our guests that when we come back from commercial. But folks, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, plus a large selection of cigar accessories. Enjoy the best prices on your favorite brands such as Romeo and Julieta, Monte Cristo, Brown Heads, Davidoff, and many more. 
Make sure to try one of their exclusive lines, such as the Jew Estate Nightshade or the limited edition Cigar Dojo 10th Anniversary Champagne by Perdomo. Celebrate over 50 years of excellence and stock up on your favorite cigars today at JR Cigars. Folks, this is episode 365 of Smoke Night Live. We are talking about cloned woolly mammoths. Yep. Mainly. Dinosaurs. Jordan. Mainly. Mainly. Uh, That's the bulk of it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the state of the union for cigar retailing. We're getting into some topics uh, that pertain to uh, how all of us guys um, enjoy uh, how we get our cigars, what makes us like the cigars that we that we purchase. Um, we do. We all have a limited budget for cigars, other than a few people that I can think of. Yeah. So what makes for us, sure? What makes us pick a certain brand over the other? But you know, Abe. Um, one of the main topics, Abe, that we tend to talk about is is making sure that we keep the brick and mortar stores as a uh, a vital part of the industry. Um, but yet, the online portion, which you have as well, um, of of course, is is you know some people say, oh, the online you know industry is is killing the brick and mortar industry or whatnot. How do you balance this, Abe, to make sure that? You know, that the, the brick and mortar is, is healthy, that the lounges are healthy, but yet you still have a, a vibrant online, um, uh, you know, channel for your customers. Well, first, I just want to comment on the little shuffle that you do during your read. I don't know if you've caught that. I don't know if you've caught that or not, but you do the, like a little sway yeah. in, in your in your read to the music. So How could you I not? Like that, that. that music's going on. It's, so, it's such as it's. I, I'm I'm trying to you know like give a little bit of uh, soul to it. I don't know. I have no idea. I didn't pay attention. You know, it's nothing gets Nick, but I keep looking at my face and seeing JR Cigar in the lower right corner. I'm like, what's going on here? I'm so used to doing our. I'm so used to doing our own show. I keep <laughs> Like, what is going on? Who's cutting in? Um, <laughs> look, I, you know, I, that middle part that we are in as an organization, I, I, sometimes I find myself in it psychologically as well, right? Sometimes I say to myself, yeah, we have to stop thinking like I'm still this small retailer. We're far beyond that, and we have to look further down toward the horizon. Um, our My first shop was, I mean, it was less than 900 square feet, so... <laughs> probably not much bigger than your mobile lounge. Um, so psychologically, we've been there. But, you know, I grew up in this industry listening to other retailers throughout the career. And they, they've they always had this, most of them, a lot of them had this passionate um, distaste for JR Cigars and catalog companies. And they've ruined, they ruin us whenever... That's a psychology and philosophy that never entered my mind. In fact, when Sal Fontana, one of my mentors, first introduced me to Sal, I was enamored by him. Uh, to introduce me to Lou Rothman, I was enamored by him. And we became close friends. Uh, we both like sci-fi books, and he comes to town. He, he lives down here now six months of the year. Um, and he's a guy I can even just reach out to. I want his opinion or advice on something. So there's... You know, if you're doing what you should be doing as a face-to-face -face retailer, you know, and I've said this before and people have listened to me say, one of the things I, I kind of sell, tell people 
when I used to do inter job interviews and interview people for positions is, what is it you feel we sell here? And of course, the number one response is, oh, you sell cigars, you sell this. It's not really what we're selling mm -hmm. here. That's a product that we provide. What we're selling here is an experience, right? The catalogs, the major companies, it, 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 you know, there are different levels of consumers and different types of consumers. And there are those consumers who live out in the country, nowhere near shops or some, some people even civilization who want to order from a catalog and have no other choice to order from a catalog or want to buy the most budgeted and best deal they can get on a cigar, not really having any kind of feeling toward a brand or, or, or a blend, but just enjoy the process of smoking cigars. And, and that's kind of not, not what we built our company on. It's always been about the culture and the experience, even when I had one little store. You know, we had a group of men that, it was a small shop. It didn't even hold 12 people comfortably. We had 26, seven people having lunch every Saturday, every Saturday of the year. One guy cooked for everybody, you know. Um, and, it, and that kind of spirit fosters. So if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing as a retail lounge, because if you, if you think as a retailer and as a store owner, that what you're doing and what JR Cigars or Cigars International, any of these big companies are doing is similar, then you've kind of lost the definition of what, you're, what you should be doing as a retail lounge. Um, mm. Because there's an, they're, they're, they have an edge and you have an edge. And we've been very successful over the years with our brick and mortar and our retail stores to realize that edge <sighs> and work on the edge. We would create things like, for instance, our Great Smoke event that started with a few hundred people and we hit now almost 3,000 people that come from all over the world. That wasn't magic. That was built on creating these ex positive experiences. People go home and tell people about it, and you got to come next year. And anybody who would come for the first time would show up back next year with five of his friends. And so I never felt like those companies were bad for the industry. They provide a need. They provide a need not just to consumers and what most, most people don't know. They provide a need for people who make cigars. Right, and, and and it's part of the symbiotic lifestyle, uh, symbiotic life cycle of cigar manufacturing. Um, I don't care who you are as a company, you are going to hit a thing where something's going to just be dead, dead on arrival, and now you have all this. And who do you think is going to take that product? You know, I mean, so companies like that are needed. So it's part of the symbiotic lifestyle. So I, I think. A lot of these retailers over the years, you know, I was maybe too young, too shy to give advice, but if you spend less time worried about that and worried about what you should be doing in your retail store, there's a way you could find to be successful. It's just how hard are you willing to find that way to be successful? Because I'm, I'm living proof because I grew up in the era of all these major catalog companies and we flourished in that time. You know, there's a path to success. You have to understand what it is you're selling, what it is you're doing as a as a retailer. Now, on the other side, we kept growing to the point where we understood that, hey, there are also people who don't have anything like what we provide here locally near them. And being in Florida, we're a very transitional state. So we would get guys for a season and then go home like, oh, I'm going to miss you guys. And that's how that kind of began. They would just order from us when they go home. Um, because there was nowhere where they went home where they kind of had this culture that they were experiencing here. And that emotional attachment says, hey, look, I know I can go down the street and get this box, but I'm, I'm just going to order it from Abe. And we used to take you know, calls. Hey, Mr. Johnson, how's it going? Take their order, ship it out, um, run to the local post office. So we, we, we saw there was that need and, and developed into that. And as our reach grew, 
our base grew and now kind of our base is kind of all over the country. Um, you know, one of our employees was just up in Pennsylvania somewhere, went in a shop and was talking to somebody, a uh, store owner who happens to know me, we're good friends. And they were talking because, yeah, I'm in the business. And he mentioned he'd been working for us now for about six months. And the store owner was elated and was happy he was there and was treating him good. So um, there's success on both sides. But I, I don't, I've never looked at the retailers or the catalog companies as something's bad for this industry. If you, if you understand that how this industry works from production and manufacturing to even end consumers, it's a necessity. You know, it, it's a, it's part of it's part of this industry. You just need to find your path, and it's there. We've done it. What would you say, Nick? Uh, how does how does um, the online retailer help or hurt the uh, the brick and mortar um, operations that you guys have? How's that relationship go? Do you do, is is this something that you guys um, consciously think about uh, as far as making sure that both sort of sides of the fence are uh, you know successful? Yeah, I mean, consciously, no, like, we do not want to infringe on brick-and-mortar retailers. I mean, we have our own brick-and-mortar retailers as well, and they operate their business very differently than how uh, the website does. Um, uh, by the way, Abe said some really nice things about us, so I appreciate that. I'm sure Lou, uh, Lou Rothman appreciates it as well. But listen, it's like he said, it's all about providing experiences, Um there's nothing like going into a cigar store. Nothing. I still frequent cigar stores. <laughs> I very rarely buy from JR, to, to be honest, only because I have so much stuff that is just there for me to smoke for free. Uh, but when I'm buying something, I like to go to a store, kind of give back to the community because of all it's given me. So I'll go to a random store in New York City or in Pennsylvania, hang out. There's nothing that uh, that experience is so unique um, and there's no way we can mimic that. Now, we can provide our own amazing experience. And like Abe said, there's people all over the country that don't have access to an awesome retail location like Smoke In or like Casa de Monte Cristo. And we're there for them. We're going to cater to them. Now, there's this, at least for me, being a cigar nerd, there's, you know, being a, in a business this large has its own pitfalls. For certain manufacturers, especially when you have the more limited stuff, I mean, we're we're last on a lot of people's lists to get those kind of cigars, to get those kind of releases, because they like to support brick and mortar as they should. But there's a lot of there's a lot of cigar companies that we just can't really carry them because we're we're too big. And I know that sounds like a dumb thing to uh, to be upset about, but it's true. There's a lot of lines that we're not we can't successfully carry because we're too large and they don't have the manufacturing for us to be able to, to maintain it. So it, it has its own issues trying to navigate um, this world, but I think brick and mortar definitely has its place and it's a very important place. I, the lounges I've been to, I mean, they're busier than ever, especially after the pandemic, they're picking up and, and you get, uh, if you have a cigar bar restaurant, these places are kind of hard to find now and they're bumping. And you have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with a certified tobacconist, someone to explain things to you. I mean, there's only so much I can do to our customers through YouTube. I do my best, but having that one-on-one -on -one interaction, especially for a new smoker in a brick-and-mortar store and, and kind of coming into the community that way, I recommend everyone do that. Listen, at some point, we want you to buy from JR, but if you're just getting started... Go to a cigar store. That's how I got started. I got started working in a cigar store, and I wouldn't have it any other way. 
Now, uh, we're lucky enough um, to have uh, what I would... We're, we're going to talk about limited editions for a second here. And I think we're lucky enough, Scott, to have two guys on the show, uh, uh, Nick and Abe, that I believe have the best limited edition store exclusives in the world. Now, Nick, I'll start with you on this. I mean, your 50th year anniversary was absolutely amazing. The The releases that you guys did, the the exclusives for the JR exclusives that you did with Davidoff and crown heads and a few others, uh, was an, an amazing year. And then just recently, obviously the, um, the Volcana, um, you guys really do some cool high end stuff and, and, and we'll get to Abe too, cause he has the, the micro blend stuff, but what, how does that play? Where, what, what does that role of these really like high end fun exclusives play in the overall JR marketing? Why? I guess the question is, why do you get, why do you guys do it and and it, and how does that work how does that help the the cons consumer experience and the consumer engagement yeah for sure well it's it plays a really important role especially the past few years i mean listen like i said we do a, a lot of our businesses from bundled product but it's not always going to be that way and also you know you want to try something new you want to keep up with the trends you want to stay ahead of the trends and JR is transforming from that very stereotypical catalog deal, here's your bundle, and we're going for something different. We're evolving, and our CEO, Davide, um, is is kind of leading the charge on this. So our most recent release, the Pure Origin Grand Volcano, is just like one chapter in this evolution of JR. We're not just a bundle operation anymore. We still do that, and we do it, I think, better than you know, almost anyone else, but we can also provide unique experiences on a higher end. Um, that's what we we're doing with the 50th. That's what we're going to be doing going forward because, you know, that lane, that demographic of bundle cheap, just want something to mow the lawn with. It's hard to kind of get that demographic because they're usually, you know, very loyal. They kind of have their cigars that they've been smoking for years. But once you had of them, as long as you treat them well, get them their product on time, they're there to stay. The emerging customers, the emerging demographic, they want something new. They want something eye-catching, unique tobaccos, cool stories, great packaging. So we have to be able to provide that as well. And so that's what we're doing with a lot of our um, new private labels going forward. The Mother Church from Crown Heads is one of our best sellers now. Like I said, the Pure Origins, which was made for us by Placencia. This is the direction you're going to start seeing JR going into uh, more and more in the future. Very interesting. Um Abe, now the Microblend series uh, is, is obviously uh, has a special place in my heart because that's one of the things that really kind of uh, caught my attention back in the day with the, uh, the anarchy, the Tatsuwahe anarchy, oh, and yeah, then and, stick. and just moving forward. Abe, talk about the Microblend series and what what does that bring to the the overall smoke in experience? What what role does that play in consumer engagement? So. Microblend series started out as a 15th anniversary project for us. We wanted to work with four specific manufacturers for that year, which were Pete Johnson, My Father Cigars, um, Carlito Fuente, and George Padron. Um, kind of a nice list to start out yeah, your, yeah. <laughs> your, 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 your micro project career, but um, it was our 15th anniversary and it was a big milestone for us. And we, we, we had the, the honor of being able to work with those companies. And it was just a very cool 
ability to be part of a process of picking a cigar that was going to be used in our shop. Now, let me clarify that our two projects with Padron and um, Fuente, with Fuente, we really kind of had no say. I'll tell you that right now. With Padron, we had a say on the size. We had an interesting, colorful conversation with the old man on what we wanted to try to do, but it was never going to happen. <laughs> we, we were the first 6 by 60 cigar that they had ever made at the time in the Anniversario series. So um, it was cool to be that part of the process. And, you know, the anarchy hit so well, which, of course, didn't make the Dojo's most historic 50 cigars <laughs> ever that, that, that Pete and I still always bring I'm up. I'm sorry. And talk about. I'm just saying that was a major overlook. That was the, that was the one miss. That was a major, major, major overlook. But, you know, I mean, listen, for us as a company, I think for Pete as an organization, I think for limited releases, I mean, we were, we were really a fraction of the size of what we were 15 years ago, and we've never been able to repeat a release like that. That was some 3,000 boxes for a single-store retailers. I'm sure, you know, Nick, with his size of his organization, when he hears 3,000 boxes, he's going, wow. I mean, that's just an absurd number. It, it really is. I mean, and it got in Playboy magazine, and it developed this huge following for years and it still thrives even on the secondary market. I see it sometimes every now and then, which is one of the reasons why we chose to, you know, reach out to Pete to see if he wanted to do this NFT project that we're doing, which I'm very excited about, which hopefully will hit sometime this summer, bringing back that historic cigar on an annual basis again. Um, but it was fun. And so after those four projects, and I just kind of didn't want to stop. So working with these manufacturers, is just part of the, our creative juices, um, mm. I, ideas, and 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 w thank God I've been in the industry long enough. I have a very good relationship with many many companies, and they're always a pleasure to work with. And you know, some we 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 sit here like we we literally just picked out one that probably won't drop till next year. Um, it's a cool size, but we had it in three different blend. We've narrowed it down to three different wrappers of what we liked, and you know, the team was split which rapper was best and um we had to have a deciding vote and um that wasn't me so um well i'll just say this though the deciding vote sided with the way i liked so what happens is, is if, if you work really genuinely hard on these projects um and you keep delivering it to a base of fans it, it's it's just like when i grew up and i wanted to see a movie review i trusted Roger Ebert as a movie critic. If he liked the movie, I typically generally liked that movie. Um, you know, because you'll see, you'll always see critics who'll talk about movie. Oh, great. I was like, what were they, what were they watching for two and a half hours? That movie was horrendous. So I think that's kind of what happens with these kind of projects. We, we build this base of, of people who kind of have now have developed a trust for our micro blend series. And um, it's still rolling. I think we're on number 20, I think now. So, um, it's just kind of cool and uh, very nice to be able to even be part of something on some level. I, I'm you're not going to see videos of me rolling cigars. I'm not in videos of curing barns and smelling tobacco and whatnot. I trust the professionals' choices, but they send us blends, and we're part of the decision-making process of what we like and what we don't like, and what we feel will represent our company and then what our our base will like. And um, we've kind of had a good track record with our micro series. I'm kind of very proud of it. 
Yeah, no, I, you know, you, you, you hit on a, a few topics, Abe, uh, that, you know, obviously we do um, collaborative releases as well. And the way, the way we sort of always see it is it's a, it's a fun break in the year for, for our community. For, it's, it's something new and different that our community gets to, to be a part of, kind of breaks things, breaks up the monotony. Um, and, and we've always tried to, you know, put a, a ton of effort into those to, to make the cigar dojo experience sort of fun and, and unique. And, and I don't know, you know, what role that plays in our overall success, but um, it does seem to be something that uh, the community likes and, and enjoys, you know, six times a year getting to try something new and different. Um, let's talk about events and I'll start with you, Scotty, because your entire Yep. Business model. I the entire business model event only. is uh, is, <laughs> is events. So I'll I'll start with you in that. Um, my question being to you, I've, I've obviously without events, you you really wouldn't have have a business. But um, as far as mobile lounges go, um, there there does seem to be sort of a growing community of of mobile lounges. Now you have a, an absolutely phenomenal. Uh, if you if you've ever seen Scotty's. Uh, setup it is it is the absolute in my opinion i've seen a lot of mobile lounges around it's the best but you're you're entirely focused on these events um and so how do you as as a company um determine what events you do how do they come to you what's the process oh i mean events like i said events drive everything that we do everything that is my business is the mobile lounge and with that i mean a lot of it is finding kind of that area that you want to be in and you whether, do well, you do a lot of Harley Davidson. Yes. I do stuff. a ton of stuff with Harley Davidson. I do a lot of stuff with uh, the breweries and distilleries that are out here in Colorado. I also do a lot of private events, weddings, things like that. Most of the, what I consider my public events, IE Harley Davidson, things like that. Uh, it's all based on just basically how, you know, the consumer interaction is where, my target audience is going to be what they want to do. Do they, are they the, you know, cigar smokers that like to, you know, have good craft beer? Do they like to have good, you know, craft cocktails, things like that. Also, you know, when it comes to the biker community, the biker community are big cigar smokers. That's actually some of my more, you know, successful events is with that. So it's basically just based on going to them. And honestly, when it comes to events, it's about providing, like they had said earlier with some of the other things like Abe had spoke on at length was about providing the experience because as it goes, especially in Colorado, our taxation is very really high, high <laughs> as opposed to other states and like down in Florida and other places. So I'm not making my, you know, money on the cigars, you know, it's on the rentals, it's on, you know, providing that experience. And that's what I tell everybody is I'm not selling you the cigar. I'm selling you the experience. I'm selling you the lounge. I'm selling you the interaction, the engagement, the conversation, you know, just providing that experience. And that's what I have to solely focus on because the cigars to me and what I do are secondary to that experience. And as long as I'm finding events that I feel are proper and are going to be successful to provide a really great and positive experience for cigar smokers, because Mainly, I'd say that almost 70% of my consumer base are either brand new to cigars or are what I consider just new cigar smokers that don't smoke cigars more than maybe 
once or twice a year or with their buddies on the golf course when they go out for their guys weekend, you know, they're not big cigar smokers. So providing that experience is huge. So that's basically what it all events, you know, events are based on and finding which ones will help me provide those experiences to shine the entire community and the entire industry. Cause you know, like one guy said, you know, like little mobile lounges and little brick and mortars are emissaries for the entire industry, what experience we provide to new cigar smokers. I've had numerous come at me where and have said, you know, I had my first cigar with you guys and I absolutely love it. Now I have a humidor and I bought from JR and I bought their samplers and I got some of that. And did you see this podcast that these guys do? Or have you seen, you know, KMA on Saturday? I watch them and I listen to what's going on there. And it's really engaged them and helped move them further down the line to become you know, what I consider cigar smokers. Your, your customer. Yes. Uh, Nick, now with JR, uh, there's sort of like, you know, in Casa de Monte Cristo and, and, and so forth, you sort of have like these two style of events. You have your, you know, your kind of your Friday night event, which is maybe like a brand event where you buy three cigars, you get two free or whatever. But then you have your big multi-vendor events. Um, talk about where JR Cigars is with events. I think I went, it was at Smoking in the Carolinas I was at a, a few years ago. Um, are you guys... Um, continuing to add to those events you st is that still part of the plan do you still uh do the big multi-vendor events is that uh this summer is i know covid kind of screwed some of that up yeah covid was definitely uh, a hamper i mean on the industry as a whole but uh, especially for large gatherings but uh yeah um casa de monte cristo is going full into the events this year um they just uh, announced the um texas cigar festival which is uh, out of our Houston stores. Uh, events are amazing, man. They're an amazing part of this community. I love attending them. I've been to ones all over the country, Florida, Texas, New Jersey. Um, even as we're speaking right now, the Puerto Sabor Festival is going on in Nicaragua, which is great. It's great to bring the community together wherever they are. I mean, for smoking in the Carolinas, people would fly in literally from all over the country. One year we had a giant map out front. And we would give people like a thumbtack and they would thumbtack where they came from. People from Canada, California. Um, so it's a great way to meet people who are as into the industry as you are. You guys have been saying all night there's, you know, your typical just a guy who smokes a cigar while they're golfing or a girl smokes it, you know, maybe just on the back porch. But then there is this deeper community and we want to hang out. We want to hurt. We want to get together, exchange ideas. Oh, who did you think was the number one cigar? Oh, have you tried this? What do you think of Broadleaf, etc.? And cigar stores in and of themselves are a great place to do that. But then hosting these big multi-vendor events are an even better way because you're getting all the customers there. And now they also get to FaceTime with their favorite manufacturers, ask them questions, it's just great for the industry. Uh, I've always been a big fan of events. I used to work them, you know, when I was uh, in my youth, setting up tables, getting boxes, helping customers, scanning, setting up the tents. Now I get to do a little more of the content with it. But, yeah, Casa puts on great events. Abe does. I mean, even our all, all of our competitors. I mean, there's not – I don't think I've been to a really crappy cigar event. I've been to ones that maybe didn't get as much buzz, but they've all been uh, awesome in their own way. Now, Abe, um, speaking of events, uh, the Great Smoke is just around the corner, and I know this uh, represents just a, a, a massive amount of uh, effort on uh, your team's part starting as soon as the event is over. Um, a couple years ago when, when COVID 
uh, struck. You uh, did the probably the it was probably the greatest virtual event of all time. That very first one, but you've continued to uh, uh, you've continued to keep that virtual aspect of the event moving forward. Let's talk a little bit about the Great Smoke um, and what's in store this year. You have some really cool exclusives uh, for folks that have either a uh, virtual ticket or an actual ticket to the event. Um, but before you, you get into that, uh, what, what do you think the role is uh, for the Great Smoke as, as far as the overall you know, marketing strategy for Smoke In? How does that fit into your, to your plan? Our overall marketing strategy for the Great Smoke and, and why it was actually created from day one, I think it's the key element on, to its success, right? Is we really from day one said this must be an experience-driven event. We were always more concerned about what experience a consumer has than how much revenue or how much product we could sell. Um, in fact, I'll tell you right now, and I've said it before, the first two years we lost money throwing that event, hands down. I think the third year we broke even and we were happy. Um, but it was always about making a production. And I always knew long-term that if we did things right, you'll it, it, it becomes a profitable event. And we raise a lot of money for charity. Our event has been tied to a charity since year one. And for the, la for the longest time now, it's been the Kids Cancer Foundation in South Florida. And we've raised a large amount of money for them over the years. Um, and it's just an overall positive experience outside of the nerve-wracking time, but we've done a really good job of kind of reinventing it a little bit every year. Um, and the people, look, we kind of say it every year, and it's really hard to say it, but, you know, this is going to be the best one ever. And <laughs> right, you people, always have to say that, right? But you we, believe we, it, right? We, you, you believe because it. Because we believe it. We <laughs> say it because... We, you know me better as well as almost anybody, Eric, because you know we believe it. Right. It's going to be the best one ever. I mean, we already have the theme and the date for 2024 on the calendars and whatnot. That's how much effort we put into it. And um, we've, we've hasn't broken that streak. They've been amazing. But, you know, the pandemic was a really tough year because we really thought we were going to stop doing it. And um, we watched a couple because our event in 2020 was the last one. I mean, the world shut down the next month. Right. People were kind of talking about COVID, like some something going on somewhere else at our event. You know, did you hear about this? What's going on over here? And and then like literally a month later, the world shut down. And then in August, we're like, man, everybody's canceling their events. And we kind of we I've been to I've been to events all over the country. I've been to the the, the, the Carolinas. I've been to the Texas Cigar Festival. Um, been to Cigar Fest. I, I like to go to these events because I hope to use them as learning experiences. And um we saw how some people were doing virtual events and we just knew that's not how we wanted to do it. So we literally came up with the stupidest, craziest idea and then just made it happen. And it was great. It was a great experience for everybody involved. I think it was a great experience for everyone in the cigar because we broadcasted that broadcast live, whether you bought a ticket for the event or not. And I think it was just great for the whole cigar community. I think everybody was pent up for a while. It was just good for an afternoon to feel like we were all together somewhere. But then that posed a problem for us. Because after doing that virtual event, people came to us and said, please don't stop doing it virtual. Because they were the people that I keep talking about that live far away, don't ever have anything nearby, can't take the time off work. I mean, if you're trekking down and, you know, 
like Nick mentioned, people come from all over the world. We I have a person who comes from Israel every year. Now we have multiple people who come all the way from Alaska every year. They come from all over the world. And if you're checking down, it's not an easy feat getting off of work, airfare, hotels. I mean, you, you Eric, you know, you, you go around to these events. Yeah. So it really tasked us last year to find a way. All right. Well, how can we keep doing this event live? Because our event is really like a kind of like a Vegas production stage shows. Last year was a luau. We had volcanoes going on, firewalker dancers and whatnot. How, how do you take this event and then continue doing it virtually? So we took on the task of doing it live and virtual at the same time. And um, it was great for us. And, and Michael Herklotz has now donned the cap of being the official face of the virtual TGS. The MC. And, uh, the MC, and I am grateful to him. Him and Kim and Paul did an amazing job. By the way, that, that we... picture of Paul is extremely disturbing. I guess, yeah, uh... there's so much wrong with that photo. <laughs> I think I think that joke's about over. Maybe we should change that image. <laughs> <laughs> now, Abe, Abe it's how, can, it's, it's, it's how probably can, like how can folks are slow get, this how, year? Sorry, <laughs> how, how can folks get involved um, if they there's still a chance to get involved, right, for this year's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, VIP tickets sold out in one day, which was another historic event. We sold out three hotel room blocks, so all our group rates are gone for the hotels. Um, but there are general admission tickets if you're coming locally. And this event really starts Thursday night. So it goes, there's an event Thursday night with, we have an all-star cast once again this year. Jonathan Drew's hosting an event Thursday night. Steve Sock is hosting an event Friday night. Um, and we have Michael Herklotz hosting the dinner at the fairgrounds, the pre-event dinner. Uh, Saturday we have the main event that's being start, kicked off with our first ever, ter- first ever tailgate party with um, Eric Espinosa and the Distinguished Ruffians. And um, then the main event, then we have Matt Booth back at Boynton Beach after the main event on Saturday. And then finally, we cap it off with a brunch with Terrence Riley validating the whole experience on the Sunday morning after. So it's 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 a lot going on. And um, if you're coming down live, it's great. But if you're not and you want to be part of this, you very well can be. We have virtual tickets. You will the day of the event, we will have a professionally done broadcast. Michael Herklotz will be there, and we have Kim and Paul on the floor walking you around, trying to give everybody at home the experience of almost as best as we can of you being there. And we have this epic package, which I know you put a picture of up here earlier. This is what your ticket gets you. It gets you a huge package of 32 cigars and an ashtray hat, bags, lanyards, shot glass, cutter, uh, bottle opener. It's a whole package. It's like a hundred. It's like over $400 worth of stuff. It's like 165 bucks. And um, it also gives you access to a special store where we have promotions that day. And talk about an exclusives, TGS exclusives, what I'm saying right, yeah. today. This is the one that was done by Al, Alan, uh, Alec and Bradley Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars called The Crew. So it's funny. We started this during a digital experience. And manufacturers have now gotten into theming the releases because this year it's Mardi Gras Madness. So uh, this was the one by Alec Bradley and our... Very limited releases are only 300 bundles from each manufacturer. We pick five manufacturers every every um, year. The one that we're dropping next Wednesday is Robert Holt. 300 bundles of these called Evening Stock. And now this is, he, you know, w- when we drop these next Wednesday, we'll have a broadcast with Robert explaining the cigar because this is a really unique blend that even needs to be kept at a lower humidity level than n- normal. I haven't cracked my bundle open yet because I've still been smoking these, but I will light one up prior to our drop next Wednesday. So the TGS has become a multifaceted 
thing. If you have any interest in, in, in it, check out thegreatsmoke.com. There are still virtual tickets left available. Now, Abe, um, as you know, uh, the dojo isn't officially uh, a part of Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest, but we've sort of like adopted that because it's in our own backyard, um, just up the road, 20 miles or whatever. And one thing that we, we learned, and I think this is something that you kind of already touched on a, a minute ago, is a lot of people fly in to come to just the dojo events, the dojo event on Thursday night and whatnot. But we realized that if they're taking the time to fly in, um, we want to try to give them as many events as possible. So we, we've done a, like a Wednesday night event, a Thursday night event. We do a, a Friday beer, brewery beer tour. We do a uh, Scotty brings up his uh, lounge. We do a Camacho um, event on Friday night before because that allows them to, you know, you, you spend, you know, a thousand bucks to go to an event and it's on Saturday, it's four hours, boom, it's done, it's over. Um, but it's, it's nice, like you, what you're doing is you're adding these other events so that they can really sort of get their, their money's worth over that span of three or four, five days. Yeah, you can really soak it in. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of it is you want to soak yourself in that cigar community and in that experience and providing all of these extras outside of the event itself. I think just... Actually, you know, it literally it becomes almost where the events outside of it become, of the main become yeah. more of the main event. I mean, I, there's people I've seen for Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest as well as the Great Smoke that are almost more excited for the events leading up to it because it's just this big build to the actual main event. Do you ever, Abe? Do you ever say to yourself, "Why? What? What was I thinking? Why did I? Why did I do this? <laughs> it's so much um, work." So. Not so much in, in this stage now, because now it's kind of laid out. Even the last year, like, the digital broadcast, I, yeah, that I definitely said that. And I actually, like I, I've said it before, if I had known now what I'd known then, I would have had somebody document the last 60 days leading up to putting that together. And then it got worse next, last year, because now we're trying to come up with ways, how are we going to manage doing <laughs> live and virtual at the same time? I literally have... My floor team talking to me in one year. I have the director and and Michael Herklotz talking to me in another year and people talking to me face-to-face -face consumers. But you get to this point where now, okay, we're not recreating it other than the theme and stuff, but we kind of got the format down. So this year's actually been a little bit more, less soul-crushing than prior <laughs> years. Um, but, you know, you, you know, you talked about adding on to the event. I got to tell you a story that I have a, a, a gentleman from Boston to thank for that. And I think it was in our second year of doing the Great Smoke, where it was just still a couple hundred people. Um, we had, I had working late. We closed at eight back then. We had no bars. And I was working late, and a guy calls, and he says, look, I heard about your event. I tried to get tickets for Cigar Fest. It sold out. Somebody told me about your event. I want to come down. And I started telling him about the event. He's like, oh, okay, that sounds great. What else you got going on? And I went, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the event. And he's like, really? He's like, well, you know, we're coming down from Boston where – Regardless, the guy came down, and he had a time of his life, and he said he'd be back next year. I said, I will have another event for you next year. And that following year, our third year, was the first time we had an after party. So you had the main event, and then you had at least an after party, still one day. And then it just slowly kept morphing and morphing, you know. I, I Now with the tailgate party, I don't think there's any more time that we could squeeze any more events in because now officially now the great smoke day starts at 9 a.m with a tailgate party and ends you know with an event at the shop god knows at what time so 
Unless we start adding more days, I, I think we may have maxed out the time. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've pushed the the ultimate limits. Um, now, first of all, I want to thank all three of you guys for joining us on Smoke Night Live, talking about uh, the future and the present the future. of cigar. The future. <laughs> thank you, Jordan. I knew you'd do that. Uh, <laughs> can't help himself. Nick, before we Nick, before we uh, wind down the show, uh, I got one last question for you, Nick. Uh, what do you see? Uh, the, is the future of cigar retailing? What innovations might we see? What directions, you know, might be become more uh, prevalent? Um, how do you see uh, the the industry going as a whole? Like, uh, I'll just I'll just preface this question a little bit more for you while you think about this. You know, like prior to COVID, we saw uh, big companies buying up uh, brick and mortar shops left and right. Boom, 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 boom. Then COVID hit, and then and then everybody was going online, obviously, because uh, even small shops that had no online presence at all, they they started uh, an online presence because they had to because of COVID. You couldn't come into the shop, and and so now we're sort of uh, in this flux post COVID. But where do you see the industry going? What innovations might you see? Where where will be the focus? Will the focus be more on brick and mortars? Will the focus be more on online? Will there be other innovations, vending machines? I don't know. Um, anything that you can think of. Where are we headed for the cigar retailing industry? Well, I think it's a combination of both. Um, you're seeing uh, some of the other big online retailers, uh, mainly CI, really building out their brick and mortars um, across the yeah. country. They put they put superstores in Texas, Florida. Probably going to be a few more. Um, who knows about if we want to add more casas in the coming years? Those are always great opportunities. But I think Abe opened a can of worms when he started doing those really cool virtual events because <laughs> I, I think that a lot of people are going to start instituting that. Um, it, you know, let's say you have too small of a shop or you can't, you know, a lot of problems with trying to do large events or even trying to, you know, if you wanted to open up a retail store is space and the government. <laughs> Right. Um, they shut down it so much. They they push back. You know, our store in Whippany has been there for twenty years, uh, twenty plus years. They just got a liquor license like mm. a year ago, and they they've been fighting for years to get it. So it's always a constant battle with state government, the federal government, the FDA, in terms of you know where can you put a store? Oh, that's too close to this place, so you can't have a liquor license there. You can't do an event here. So that's always going to be a barrier to increasing the brick-and-mortar community. But I think I, – I see cigar smoking um, and our kind of cigar smoking becoming much more popular in recent years. It's becoming more mainstream. You're seeing you know, your Joe Rogans and all these famous comedians. I mean, Guy Ari Shafir and Bobby Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, Guy Fieri. Ari Shafir and Bobby Kelly, two very famous stand-ups that are constantly on Joe Rogan just did a podcast episode from Nick's office up in Connecticut. So it's becoming a much more mainstream uh, thing. I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to get on the level of beer, but I think it's becoming more and more in line with, like, the craft beer um, that's people said was kind of a craze, but it's been going on now for about 15, 20 years, if, if not more. So I, I see the demand going up. I see the community getting larger. I would like to see more retail stores. I'd like to see more big lounges, you know, restaurants, areas where you can have events. The government's always going to put their foot into that. Um, but 
So I think you're going to get a little bit of both. You're going to, you're going to get some more locations. You're going to get some more brick-and-mortar stores that are going to become more popular where you can have them, the South, uh, the Midwest. But I also think that a lot of online companies, ourselves included, are really going to uh, push forward with more customer engagement, try to reach out to more people via these virtual events, podcasts. Um, I see it growing larger, and I see it just becoming more connected. What do you think, Abe? What do you see in the future of uh, cigar retailing? Any any prognostications? Uh, the metaverse cigar lounge. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you, you, hey, listen to me. The Dojoverse. Oh, and you laugh. But when I got my first quest, I actually started to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the metaverse cigar lounge. It's the next step. It's the next evolution. Mm. I, I need to answer Emmanuel's comment here. Because he thinks I'm hoarding, but the the the, the League of Ninety Nines you see behind me are the empty boxes from the, <laughs> from the Cigar Dojo 2022 Top Cigar Sampler. That's how we do okay. it, baby. Okay, so that is available, and there, we just got a shipment in, and we made more samplers because that's sold out. It's back up online. We have to take some of those boxes and make the samplers so we can have the Dojo 2022 top sampler of the year available because of course they picked a cigar that's not readily available for their sampler <laughs> jordan you better tell randy right away because he was trying to buy a bunch now the one i see then now we were you no know, to speak to abe's point about like the metaverse cigar lounge i've been thinking about this i'm like i want to see because we've seen like the nft cigars we've seen things like that coming around i'm waiting for the first ai mm. blended cigar you're giving away our secrets oh (laughs) my bad there's there's no ai AI no there's nothing nothing going on there nothing to see we're just gonna move on that's it jordan just can't stop with the ai so who knows who knows what'll happen next uh no i want to thank all three I want to thank all three of you guys for uh, being on uh, Smoke Night Live episode. What was that? 365? Jordan, 365. That's, we've done a show every day. That's if you did a show every day for a single year. that's And that's uh, only since we've been keeping track. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah, we've missed a few somewhere in there. But no, Abe, Nick, um, Scotty, thank you guys so much for taking the time on a Friday night to be with us, man. Pleasure to be here, pal. All right, Nick? Absolute pleasure. And pleasure, As, and thanks, sir. Great to talk to Abe, too. I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, uh, yeah, it's you amazing too. having you guys on here because you guys represent uh, such a nice uh, spectrum such of the, big, yeah, of the big industry. Uh, folks, Wednesday night, uh, Flavor Odyssey returns. It's a wild card episode because we just got done with the Born in the USA segment where we were uh, smoking and pairing with uh, cigars that had an American connection of some sort. And um, so that segment's over. We're going to do a wild card episode on Wednesday. Robbie or Randy will tell you what cigars we are smoking. They'll do a live on Monday. Keep you up to date. Guys, here's the deal. Next Friday, a week from tonight, it's first impressions. So we are going to be smoking uh, blind dating, uh, as we say, uh, cigars we've never tried before. On the show, we'll each try two cigars, and this we'll is always a great. Time. We will rate them live on the air. We found some really good cigars, Jordan, on this episode in the past. The pledge. The pledge was yep. one that yep. ended up being our cigar of the year. Uh, so yeah, that that could be fun. Who knows? Maybe we'll find the next 
cigar of the year on this show. That's always one that you never want to miss. That's, yeah. I mean, it's always so much fun, not only for us to, you know, try out new cigars, but for the audience just to see what our actual thoughts are. There's no, you know, thought, you know, pre, you know, right. put together. It's here's what we're smoking. We've never smoked them before. Here we go. And uh, I know I got, for I know for a fact Coop will be on that show. Um, yeah. Hey, but I got excited. Were, I got excited for a second. I thought you were doing a show of doing first like impressions of people in the industry. <laughs> when uh, you said no. it, I thought I really yeah. thought I was like that'd be a funny show. Uh, Abe, what is coming up on KMA tomorrow morning? We got Michael Herklotz. Nice. See where he's at with Ferry Otego. Talk about probably some TGS stuff. Um, always good to have Michael on, the quintessential gentleman cigar aficionado. So. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, it's our format. We kind of backed away from having a regular guest, so it's kind of cool to have somebody on tomorrow. So tomorrow, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, KMA Talk Radio. Thank you, sir. Very cool. Uh, Nick, you uh, do some of the best uh, YouTube videos in the industry. Uh, what do you got either coming up or, or that just uh, that you've just produced recently that folks can tune into and watch? Uh, a lot of great episodes of the podcast came out um, the past few months. You know, we really talked about all the all of the lists. We talked about the dojo list, the cigar aficionado. So those are always fun. Some great guests coming up soon. Um, we're also working on um, rebranding our cigar of the month club. So we'll see that really soon. Oh. And um, a lot more uh, private labels. Some fun stuff we're working on with Crown Heads and a few other manufacturers to be coming out. Uh, you know. 2023 is going to be a big year. If you thought the 50th was big, you wait until you see JR and it's 51st year or 52nd, I guess. Wow. Whatever you Well, if you can us. if you can yeah. compete with that 50th year, you're going to have a That's my goal. I got I got to I got to do it. I got to do better. <laughs> All right, thanks guys. Uh folks, it is Friday night. We're doing Friday night herf on Cigar Dojo. If you uh, take your phone, get on dojoverse.com. We do this every Friday night. Share what you're smoking, share what you're drinking. Do some hashtag now playing. We're going to be partying all night long, Scotty. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're not on Dojoverse.com, you're missing out. Yeah, Sign up. If you're watching the show, you should be on Dojoverse.com. We have to party. <laughs> Jordan just cannot Sorry. stop no, with the sound effects. No, no, right, no. Hey, uh, next week we're going to have some fun with first impressions, so make sure to tune in, and we will see you next time. So remember, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. See you next week. Look, kid, we're trying to work with you here. Tell us what we want to know, and maybe we can cut a deal. I'm not saying anything until my lawyer gets here. Bad idea. Look here, scumbag. I didn't spend 20 years on the streets to have some punk back talk me, all right? Now tell us what we want to know. What do you want to know? We're going to ask you one more time. And if you don't tell us what we want to know, you're going to spend the next 15 years in a slammer bartering for fruit cups. How did you get these cigars so quick and easy, huh? Is it the Russians? A street gang? Tell us who it is! Hey, Chief. What is it, Jenkins? I think you got them from Jano Cigar. They have the best prices on the biggest brands and some really great shipping options. Really? Yeah. Oh. All right, then. Uh, I guess you're free to go. You want to go hang out somewhere? Maybe watch a game or something? Yeah, sure. The Cowboys are on. You son of a... Woo!